So it'd be nice if people just wore a damn mask and uh, stopped socializing with people. Because I'm getting lonely and upset about it. And you people can't keep it together. Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch, bad bitch, bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Welcome to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. This is a podcast about ladies across the spectrum of history. Here, there, then, and now. Yeah, so this is a super feminist podcast. Um, if that uh, notion makes you knee-jerk mad, you may want to turn around and leave. Um, mm-hmm. If that notion makes you go, that sounds fucking cool, welcome. We're happy to have you. Welcome. Yeah. Do you have a lady you want to tell me about? I sure do. And I think it's been an adequate amount of time since we've talked about somebody from World War II. Mm. So I would like to talk to you today about Josefina Guerrero. All right. I don't know if you're familiar with that name. I was not until recently. Uh, my sources this week are uh, peaceonmedium.com by Jamil Root Tang. And there is a piece from the National World War II Museum.org um, by Lea Schramm von Haupt. So lots of really interesting names. Wow, yeah. Um, of these women who wrote pieces on this woman. There's a Time Magazine piece that I quote from that is from 1948. She's mentioned in Time Magazine. and But a lot of the information, including the articles by uh, Leia and Jamil Root, are from a book that came out relatively recently by Ben Montgomery called Leper Spy, the story of an unlikely hero of World War II. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. So let me go ahead and give a little context. Um, Hansen's disease, which is also known as leprosy, is a long-term infection caused by the bacteria Mycobacterium lepromatosis. Um, A a leprosy infection can lead to damage of nerve endings, uh, your respiratory tract, your skin, and your eyes. Oh, wow. And it's... um, transmittable via fluids uh i would assume like spit or blood or tears or any any sort of bodily fluid maybe urine i'm not sure oh that's so interesting because i always assumed that leprosy was a super uh contagious disease and so to find out that it's not Mm um Mm -hmm. transmitted that way is crazy Mm -hmm. um but that being said there was and still is like a large stigma around leprosy there is a a phrase being treated like a leper which means being ostracized to the point where you're cut off basically um but it does require extensive exposure before you can contract it Hmm. um but it is transmissible via fluids um it has long been one of the most misunderstood and feared of human conditions which I find really interesting uh, considering some of the more we're in a pandemic. So like things that are much more highly contagious and dangerous, (laughs) it, you know, it's treatable now though. Leprosy is so. Right. That must just be because it's so visible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You would get certain types of sores on your skin that made it very obvious that you had Hansen's disease. And since antiquity, a diagnosis meant forced ostracism, ejection from your family and society, and exile in a secluded community. Like a leper colony? They would, yep. Mm -hmm. So at hospitals or clinics, Hansen's disease patients were referred to as inmates. Oh my God. (laughs) And they were forbidden from leaving or accepting visitors. Most people who were diagnosed just chose to forget the lives they had before. Like, which is utterly heartbreaking. Uh, old lives were repressed and rewritten. Like even we'll get into this later, but even years after recovering from Hansen's disease, Josefina Guerrero erased her own past. Aww. When she passed away in 1996, no one from the final 30 years of her life knew about the daughter who had been taken from her, her exile in a leprosarium, leprosarium, which is a leper colony, or her life-saving work as a Filipina spy during World War II. 
Wow. That's so sad. So she was born Josefina Veluya, um, and she was known by those around her, her friends and family, as Joey. Um, so she'll be referred to frequently as Joey. Joey. <laughs> yep. And she was born in 1917 in the Philippines in Lukban. Her parents died very suddenly and very early. And so she went into an orphanage called the Sisters of the Good Shepherd, Catholic. At an early age, she contracted tuberculosis and the nuns couldn't care for her properly. So her grandparents took her in. Why her grandparents didn't take her in when her parents died, I don't know. (laughs) But I find all of that kind of sad. Um, When she recovered from tuberculosis, she was sent to Manila, which is the capital of the Philippines. Uh, She was raised with a strong Catholic faith. And from a very young age, she idolized Joan of Arc. Um, She was educated in a convent where she learned how to speak English. Uh, Joey enjoyed art, poetry, and music and actively participated in team sports and was described by many as an attractive, lively, good-spirited, positive, and charming young woman. Oh, man. Which is, uh, you know, I think a, a common thread in a lot of our women. Yes. (laughs) So when she was 16, she met a man named Renato Maria Guerrero. He was a 26-year-old medical student, the son of a renowned doctor. Um, At the time, the Guerreros were one of the most affluent families in Manila. And Joey and Renato got married and pretty quickly had a daughter named Cynthia. Um, In 1941, before the Japanese occupied the Philippines, Joey started experiencing fatigue and loss of appetite. Um, Small blemishes started to appear on her cheeks and other parts of her body. And so she went to an infectious disease specialist and was diagnosed with Hansen's disease. uh, Oh, shit. Which is obviously leprosy. And at the time, that kind of diagnosis was considered a curse. And um, there weren't very many studies uh, or very many treatments um, for the infection. Um, So as I said, she was extremely Catholic. Um, Catholicism is really huge in the the Philippines because um, obviously it was a Spanish colony for, I think, close to 300 years. Um, So Spanish colonization and imperialism was super strong there. And um, I also learned, and I'm probably going to out myself as a dummy, but apparently... um, it, there was American settlement of the Philippines that started during the Spanish colonial period and the period mm-hmm. of American colonization of the Philippines lasted for almost 50 years. Um, yeah. From the session of the Philippines to the U.S. from Spain in 1898 to the United States recognition of Philippine independence in 1946. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So Christianity yeah. is huge there. <laughs> Um, Isn't that funny how, like, the United States has so many or had a lot of, you know, territories and colonized spaces that we don't talk about at all? Like, so many Americans don't even realize that Puerto Rico is technically a United States territory, and and that's a story we don't learn. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, it's interesting. I mean, I never, I don't think I learned that. I don't think I really, I I knew about the Spanish colonization of the Philippines, but I didn't really know Mm -hmm. um, about the American um, colonization of the Philippines. Um, And clearly (laughs) it was after World War II that they finally gave them their independence. Um, Yeah. So the Spanish friars and missionaries that came forced the Filipinos to convert, pray the rosary, and study the Bible. It's also why a lot of... um, Filipinos have Spanish names. Yes. Uh, and they speak Spanish out there still, I think. Yep. Um, yeah, I think I think Spanish is a language, also Tagalog. Tagalog, and, yep. Um, I can't remember what else. I think English is probably pretty prominent there. Um, oh, that would make sense. But but she clearly <laughs> had the to American go to influence. school to learn English, so. Yeah. But anyway, the point is that Leprosy in the Bible is described as a biblical disease and a punishment for sin. Ah, uh, mm-hmm. was was leprosy like more of an all-encompassing word at the time of the Bible, or was it still related to this specific 
disease. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a biblical expert, but uh, I would be inclined to I'm think curious. probably a little bit of both. I think it is in reference yeah. to this particular disease, but obviously I think misdiagnosis would probably happen with other skin infections and rashes and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was synonymous basically with impurity and divine punishment. Ugh. Lepers in God. Manila were required to carry a bell and to announce themselves <gasps> as unclean. Oh my God. And then when the lesions on their skin became more apparent, that's when they were sent off to leper colonies, leprosariums uh, in the country. Holy shit. Mm -hmm. Her diagnosis obviously came as a complete shock. As soon as she was diagnosed with Hansen's disease, her two-year-old daughter was removed from her care. So she was 18 oh. years old, basically. Well, if she had a baby oh. immediately. she got. I'm just assuming that she had a baby pretty quickly, but maybe she was a little... She was 24 when she was doing her spy work. So she was probably around 20. Let me say God. that again. So at the time, she was like 20 or so years old. Had a two-year-old kid, and her kid was taken from her care, and her husband left her. That is so fucking fucked up. They didn't get divorced yet, but he left and took their kid. Um, would it even like would it would it need to be a divorce or would they just say, oh, it, it didn't happen. It's annulled. No, I think it needs to be. A di she gets divorced so that she can get remarried later in life. So, oh, um, that's you know, I guess maybe I'm just confused about like what people who are diagnosed with this you know, are allowed to do, especially in the eyes of the Catholic Church, where this is considered such a, like, a, a disease of someone who is not looked upon favorably by God. Right. I, I guess I would, I would have assumed that the church would not allow you to continue to live your life like a normal human being, but I'm yeah, glad I, to hear I that a there's a... that was, like, societal too more than especially in the 20th the century yeah um so crazy yeah uh so even though that happened she started to enter some treatment for it and for a while she was able to keep like her skin from getting the lesions on it and the the effects of the disease um, at bay through her treatment but when the Japanese began to occupy the Philippines in 1942, her access to medication was completely cut off. And so oh, her leprosy, fuck. like, developed in full force. Oh. Um, as the disease took over her body, she realized that without medication, she was in for a slow, painful death. Rather oh. than resign herself to her fate, she decided to do something with the time that she had left. So she made contact with Philippine guerrillas operating in Manila and became a spy for the Allied forces. As one does. <laughs> I think it's when they have no time left. How Man. many women were spies in World War II and like successful spies? Um, oh, yeah. Well, and successful in part because they were women. Exactly. Right? So, as you know, we've, we've talked about a World War II spy on our podcast before in Josephine Baker. Yep. But every spy needs a cover story, right? <laughs> right. For Josephine Baker, it was obviously her celebrity. Um, yep. Some people, like, would disguise themselves. But for Joey, it was her leprosy. Oh. So she worked as a courier, hiding messages in her hair and in her socks and in her clothing. And since the Japanese had taken over the news outlets in the Philippines, it was up to couriers like her to be able to, to deliver news to the Filipino people and to the, the guerrillas, like, actual news of what was happening. Um, also, can I just say, like, s smuggling messages in your hair is <laughs> Apparently fucking they would be, like, ridiculous. buns. Oh, my God, that mm -hmm. is amazing. Yeah. Sorry, I had to comment on that. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, like, something that only women at the time could have accomplished since men's hairstyles were it, pretty exclusively yep. short. <laughs> <laughs> But so she was doing that uh, as the American troops drew closer to the Philippines, uh, her tasks escalated in importance and danger. So she became responsible for mapping out the Japanese fortifications and gun placements on the waterfront. In 1944, uh, American bombers used her map 
to take out the Japanese defenses in the Manila Harbor. So her map was extremely accurate. And did she just get all of this? She just mapped all this stuff out by like walking around mm-hmm. and observing? Yeah. She okay. apparently had an amazing memory. It must have been a photographic memory because she was extremely capable in memorizing locations and faces so that she could describe soldiers' mm. faces and reported them to Filipino fighters. Um, Damn. Yeah. And what a time to realize you have that. Uh-huh. Uh, and so as her condition worsened, her leprosy worsened, her skin wounds started becoming more obvious. But instead of hiding mm-hmm. it, she intentionally made them very visible, especially at checkpoints. Oh. So Japanese soldiers who were once aggressive towards her now would back away and leave her alone oh. when they caught a glimpse no of her handling. leprosy. They would, they yeah. would do frequently <laughs> full body searches of anybody going through a checkpoint women included. Oh my god. But as soon as she announced that she was unclean, which she was supposed to do, because that's what you're supposed to do in Manila, uh-huh. um, they would yep. immediately be like, nope, bye, go, keep, just go. <laughs> like, what could you have to hide? You're gonna, yeah. you're probably gonna die from this disease soon, and we don't want to catch it. Goodbye. Yep. Um, Amazing. But she apparently became notorious enough that for a while she had to stop working, because underground leaders found out that there were Japanese guards oh. looking for her, because they kind of found out oh, shit. her gig. Um, she also would uh, hollow out fruit and carry secret messages in the fruit or would pretend to be a fruit peddler in the streets of Manila and Japanese soldiers would just leave her alone because she was a leper they never wanted to buy fruit from her they never wanted to touch her cart they never wanted to come near her so it's amazing how she used the stigma for her benefit and for the benefit of her people and it didn't, like, obstruct her ability Mm-mm. to do any of this stuff. Mm-mm. I think it does make you more tired, like your your reserves okay. of energy are lower. Yeah. But she was tenacious and, and unrelenting. God. Yeah. So she successfully transmitted secret messages, information, weapons, and vital supplies to the resistance and to the Filipino soldiers. Did she put weapons in the fruit? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> um. She would commonly walk for miles and miles back and forth to fulfill her oh missions. And because of her disease, she never got caught. So. And. Oh, my gosh. And because of her disease, it's amazing that she walked miles and miles. Exactly. To deliver these exactly. things at all. Yes. Um, so in January 1945, uh, the Americans returned to the Philippines for the war. Um, they were trying to recapture Manila from the Japanese. Um, oh my god but the the Filipino resistance fighters found out that the Japanese had sown minefields in the <gasps> path that American troops were most likely to take to get to Manila oh shit so it was then that Joey received her most dangerous task she was told to make things right with God because she would not be coming home <gasps> Her job was to carry a map of the minefields guarding Manila to the American headquarters located 35 miles north of Manila. So (sighs) she had to take this map through the minefields. Oh, my God. I was like, I was going to ask you and I was afraid to ask. I was afraid of the answer to try and the Americans. Um, Holy fucking shit. The map would keep the troops safe. Um so that the end of the three years now of Japanese occupation would end. That's the goal. And so they also wanted to make sure the map got to them as fast as possible before they started their journey to Manila so that they wouldn't be caught off guard. And so if the map didn't make it in time, people would die. Um, She was almost immediately the one they tapped to deliver the map and she accepted the job with no hesitation. Um, one of the things that oh. people said about her is that she was never scared of death. Because I think she because must have felt she like she's like, I'm knew. dying anyway. Right. It's, I don't care. So, They'd already signed her death warrant. Right. they had already said, this disease will kill you mm-hmm. and there's no getting past it. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, she was doing what she could with the time she had left. Mm-hmm. I mean, more than what she could, more than what I think most people would decide to do <laughs> with the time they have left. Mm-hmm. But I can absolutely understand that, you know, I assume 
and maybe this is a, a an unfair assumption, but I assume that the death that one experiences from Hansen's disease is not pleasant. No. And so, you know, the idea of going through a minefield or dying of leprosy um, probably feel like comparable deaths. And one is arguably potentially quicker. Yeah. So, well, and one you know, doesn't include, you know, complete ostracization from society. Mm. Yes. Good word. Ooh. Well done. Um, so she hid the map <laughs> right. between her shoulder blades in her clothing. <gasps> what? Yeah. How? How? I don't know. That's just what they said. I assume it's probably in her bra or something. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they had no real concrete information to give to her, by the way, about how to get to the Americans camp. Um, but still, she started walking. Even this 35 miles, right? <laughs> Um, Wait, is the map? Can she use the map? To... Probably a little, but she has to keep it hidden, Hannah. She has she to keep it hidden. It oh out. my god! <laughs> oh god! Um, so her leprosy kept getting worse with every day that passed. Um, oh my lord! On her journey, she experienced intense headaches and extreme fatigue, but still she persisted. Um, the Japanese soldiers were everywhere, guarding the roads and inspecting everyone. Um, she was fortunate enough to, re- to reach uh, the city of Malolos, um, which was halfway. And from there, she took a boat around an active combat zone, uh, outrunning river pirates. Oh, as you do. That's just like a little <laughs> note to add in while we continue the oh, story. Oh, my God. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. And so once she got off the boat, there was still eight miles to go to get to the American camp. Um, out of 35 you said out of 35 okay um and she arrived only to discover that the american troops left three hours earlier fuck heading toward malalos or malolos no! where she just fucking was no um so she started walking back to malolos and eventually reached the american troops and placed the map in the hands of captain blair of the u.s 37th infantry division and of course when she arrived to the camp she was utterly exhausted she had no appetite and like couldn't digest any food so she told the captain what she had gone through to deliver the map safely and he said quote by god i never dreamed the filipino women had such courage (laughs) i liked your reading of it it felt um stupid american white man thing (laughs) Oh, my God. Who knew? What? Wow. It's also very 40s to be like, by God. By God. Um, So, yeah, she saved hundreds of lives, at least from that mission alone. um, And definitely saved the lives of all the American internees at Santo Tomas, uh, which is obviously Mm. a a POW camp. Um, Oh. Yeah. Because, like, if you can imagine if, if... the Americans had just charged into Manila, there would have been devastation. Hitting yeah, mind massive food. casualties. It would have been a disaster. Yeah. Um, so while they were all heading to Manila, she joined the American troops. The Allies smoothly navigated the minefields because of the map, thankfully. Um, the Americans recaptured the city. The Japanese lost that battle. It was The Battle of Manila was huge. I did not know... Um, there were over 100,000 Filipino civilian casualties in that battle. Um, God. I would just like to point out, too, that um, Joey was an active part of it, saving children and tending to wounded soldiers and civilians. Um, oh. She would carry children into safe areas. And uh, would because of her Catholicism, she never failed to pray for the casualties of war and ask God for the safety of innocent children, which I think is oh. like she has time for that while she's saving everyone. Um, well, it's a matter of life or death for her, you yeah. know, heaven or hell. Yeah. But can you imagine like being a, a dying, wounded person and, and somebody suffering from leprosy comes up oh. and offers help and you take it and like... Uh, that must yeah. have felt good, though, I think, for her to be able to 
be be a part of of that and and be have her presence welcomed i think um that's just that's me purely editorializing because obviously i don't know, didn't know the woman but but at the same time i mean if 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 many of those casualties are filipino casualties then many of them are catholic and probably felt immense relief at having prayer someone yeah someone praying for them as they passed because that is such a huge part of um of that you know i want to say religion but at the same time i mean that's true for a lot of religions where having someone reading final rites and things like that is extremely important you know and meaningful and yeah having somebody there who can observe and witness your ascent into heaven and help you get there through prayer must have been just yeah extremely meaningful for she was like the casualties i would think yeah gifting them that before they passed on yeah anyway um, yeah. So that was her most important, most dangerous mission. But um, she continued God. her spy work um, af- after that uh, until she, oh my she God. suffered a lung hemorrhage. So, Whoa. yeah, she retired from spy work then. <laughs> um, I should think so. <laughs> yeah. um, and sadly, after the war ended, her having leprosy, of course, made her a social outcast once again um she was exiled to a leprosarium 15 miles northeast of manila where the conditions were deplorable um only four nurses lived there and tended to the at least 650 patients fuck there were only 10 buildings on the grounds with a maximum capacity of 300 patients so they were way over capacity there was no running water no electricity and most of the patients slept on the ground in unclean conditions. They just figured these people were going to die soon and they didn't care. Yep. Um, every year there were dozens of patients who died from malnutrition, not from <laughs> their disease. Wow. So Joey decided to roll up her sleeves and get to work. Uh, she set about cleaning the camp as much as she could. And she became a teacher at the colony and built coffins for the deceased. Um, oh my god yeah she ended up writing a letter to a friend of a friend in san francisco describing the conditions of where she lived and her letter eventually found its way to the catholic chaplain at the national leprosarium of the united states which was in carville louisiana as her letter was passed around it caught the attention of the manila times so it started gaining press coverage and expose was written on the conditions at the colony that she lived and so finally the government sent investigators and confirmed obviously that she was telling the truth and so new dormitories were built and the leprosarium received beds for both the dormitories and hospitals so all the patients had somewhere to sleep thanks to her damn so they so she did this expose or she made this expose possible but also they did something about Mm -hmm. it that's amazing yeah um food rations were improved telephone service was installed for emergencies and water stations were built fucking finally oh my god the campus was cleaned up and they added more medical staff and this is i i assume just a few years after the end of the war or i would think so wow and because of her letters she obviously because it reached the leprosarium that was in louisiana she started learning about major medical breakthroughs that were happening in the united states for hansen's disease particularly at the carville leprosarium in louisiana where they clearly care (laughs) more so than in in the philippines i guess yeah and learning about this she felt hope about her condition for the first time in a really long time Oh, man. And so she decided that she was going to fight to obtain the first American visa for a foreign national with leprosy. And she was successful. So. Hey. Yes. So. Do you think part of that was because of her, like, the fact that she saved America or Americans? I think it didn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. So within the same year, uh, her wartime sacrifices, feats, and struggles with leprosy were featured in Time magazine. Wow. And she was awarded the Medal of Freedom with Silver Palm by the U.S. government, citing her courage during World War II 
being credited for having saved hundreds of American soldiers. Good. Good. Time Magazine, the one quote I want to take from this piece, which uses a not-so-nice uh, slur toward um, the Japanese. <laughs> so I thought oh. cut all that because it was the 40s. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, content warning. Yeah. Racial well, slur. Yeah. No, because I'm not. Yo, you're cutting it. Okay. I'm not including a okay. quote that has one. <laughs> okay. So Time Magazine includes a little snippet of her arrival to America. Last week, Mrs. Guerrero, now a pale, scarred woman of 30, arrived in San Francisco. On the dock to greet her were army officials, civic dignitaries, and a crowd of 300 veterans who remembered her. Aww. Bands played the Philippine National Anthem. An Air Force plane waited to fly her to Carville, Louisiana. With her arms full of flowers, Joey could only stammer, This is more than I expected. Oh. Oh, shit. That makes me want to cry. I know. So she went to the leprosarium in Louisiana, and the treatment, because her leprosy had become so advanced, required nearly a decade. But it, but it, but they did it? Or they, Mm -hmm. oh my god, yay! I was thinking you were going to say because it was so advanced, they could do nothing? No, it just took them almost ten years. Wow. Oh my god. And so during that time, she became an activist for the destigmatization of leprosy. And while she was there, she met uh, a Vietnamese immigrant named Alec Lau, who was also undergoing treatment for leprosy. So mm. she divorced her husband in the Philippines and married Alec. Um, Good. <laughs> and around that time, her visa expired and she was facing deportation. <gasps> and of course, she was married to an immigrant, so that was no real help either. Um but she found huge swaths of support from mostly American military families who rallied behind her, as well as some lawmakers, so that she could become a U.S. citizen. I would be so ashamed if they didn't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's one of those, you know, you expect the worst, but actually they came through for her. Good. Um, God. So in 1957, when she and Alec were both discharged from the leper colony... They received a double blessing. First, their U.S. citizenship, and second, a status of no clinical evidence of active leprosy. Oh, my God. (laughs) So she'd been struggling for for 15 years with leprosy. This is the Hollywood ending. You know that, right? This this is where they should (laughs) stop it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So she and her husband moved to San Francisco. But sadly for him, uh, his leprosy came back. Fuck. So he went back to Louisiana, and she stayed in San Francisco, so she was kind of on her own again. Um, She thought that the best was yet to come once she recovered from her disease, but the public was still not quite ready to embrace someone who had leprosy. Fuck. How Um, could they even, I mean, I guess because she was such a public figure. Because she's a public figure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, despite the fact that her disease was dormant, her history with Hansen's disease followed her around like a ghost. Ugh. She struggled to find employment, and whenever employers discovered that she had been a patient at Carville, she was fired. Fuck that. People knew her face. Ugh. So when she tried to get jobs, she had a hard time finding work, because even though she had done so much for the United States and for the Philippines... And that's why they knew her II, face. <laughs> She was still stigmatized. She was still a leper. And a lot of people didn't seem uh, fit to work alongside such things. So she (sighs) made the decision to distance herself from that. So she decided to basically disappear and changed her name to Joey Lomax. I don't know how to say the last name. It's like L-A-E-U-M-A-X. Lomax? Lomax? Um, Yeah. I guess so. Point is, she changed her name. She moved to Washington, D.C., where she worked as a clerk for several years and became a volunteer usher at the Kennedy Center for Performing Arts. Aww. She cut her hair extremely short. She pawned her Medal of Freedom. Aww. And she buried her leper persona. Aww, She received two degrees. She served in the Peace Corps. Those who knew her after she changed her name had no idea about the life she had lived in the Philippines and Louisiana. And those from her past thought she was dead. Oh, 
God. She died in complete anonymity in 1996 with no acknowledgement in her obituary of her status as a war hero. A quote of hers says, I've tried very hard to efface the past. I simply wanted to forget it. It was too traumatic and has given me no end of heartbreak. Oh my God. But it wasn't until her death that the threads of her story were pieced back together. So Joey, the sole leper spy of World War II, lived her life to the fullest, albeit full of trials and tribulations. Despite it all, she never once gave up. She dedicated her life to serving and saving others, putting other people before herself, even when she was the one who needed the most. When she had her opportunity to live a hero's life, the same society she served stigmatized her for her disease. Toward the end of her life, she lived in complete obscurity and anonymity. It was her choice, though some may argue that society forced her to make such a decision. Nevertheless, the remaining years of her life, when Joey chose to be alone and forgotten, were also the years when she finally owned her existence and she finally lived in peace. Despite continued stigma, 95% of adults are naturally immune to Hansen's disease. It is very difficult to spread, and once a person with Hansen's disease begins treatment, they are no longer contagious. Oh, wow. To help alleviate stigma, many countries are no longer using the term leprosy. Mm -hmm. To learn more, visit the CDC's website. <laughs> I wanted to end with that tag since it was something that... Uh, she struggled with her whole life and she worked really hard to destigmatize and she was a hero because of her disease and because of her disease she was ostracized but I'm really glad that even though she died anonymous as she wanted that people are rediscovering her story and piecing it together and um, honoring her the way that she should be honored because she was clearly a fucking hero yeah she saved a lot of fucking lives mm-hmm and, and I know, like, I get that she, in part, took that on because she was given a diagnosis that gave her only so much time to live. But it's, it's the rare person who goes, okay, I've been given this diagnosis. This is what I'm going to do with my life until that, until that sets in, until I die like I've been told I'm going to die. And... Yeah, that's amazing to me. If I was given a terminal diagnosis for anything, mm -hmm. I would probably just try and um, be as hedonistic as possible. <laughs> right. But right. she chose to do something significant that put her life at risk all the time because right. her life was already at risk. And I think that that's really admirable. Yeah. And I get that that, that, that coincided with a time in our history that was obviously... I mean, it was a war, so there were a lot of um, opportunities for heroism, I guess you could say. But, you know, it, I think that's probably still true in everyday life that we would consider more peaceful. You just, right. you decide to seek those things out or not. And she sought that out. And, um, I mean, going to the guerrilla... <laughs> I'm going, the, hi, how can I help? Which, yeah. by the way, I didn't mention that they turned her down at first. Oh, really? Because she was too young. She was 24. But they were they called her a child and said children <sighs> can't do anything. And she was like, fuck you, I'll show you what a child can do. Man, that's funny. And I she, thought you would she say. Kept, she kept bothering them. And then they're like, <laughs> fucking fine. Oh, my God. I thought you were going to say that they turned her down because of her disease, but... No, nope, nope. because she thought she was too young. <laughs> wow. Which is weird because there were 18-year-old yeah. men fighting in the wars, but I guess a 24-year-old woman is still a baby. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, we call 18-year-old women girls and we call 18-year-old men men, so, you know, it's a perception thing. Yeah. Oh, unless... unless you are a, a white guy accused of rape at that time. Then you're just a kid. Oh, you're just yeah. A boy. Then you're just a boy who has his whole future ahead of him. And mm -hmm. why would we ruin that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's oh the man. Only exception. That's kind of crazy. Did she ever like? Did she ever reconnect with her second husband? Do we know? I I didn't see anything about it, but I know she did reconnect with her daughter at some point. Oh, later that's in life. good. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know what kind of relationship they had, but I do know that Cynthia came to see her in the United States. That's really heartening. Because mm-hmm. that just, I mean, when you want to bury your past, even knowing like what you've done and how you have contributed to something huge, that it's sad. It's sad when you have to do that in order to live a normal life and not have yeah. any connection with your past or the people that you were forced to leave behind. So the and fact that was, that that was apparently incredibly common for people with Hansen's disease is yeah. they, they they would just go, well, I guess I don't know you people anymore. Yeah. Your closest family. Like, bye, forget I ever lived. And I'll it's, do the same. It sounds a lot like how we have historically treated people with AIDS. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And For sure. I mean, I feel like anytime you have a disease that especially is so visible with, you know, with both of them, you get lesions and mm-hmm. um, skin, and you, you know. Look, you look like shit. Yeah. It's, it's like you look sick. Yeah. And it's super easy to be like, mm, I don't want to ha- I don't want to have to touch you because mm-hmm. it, you just look like you might infect me with something but but I find it interesting knowing that 95% of adults are just naturally immune to right it. and like are so fucking afraid even though it's really not gonna affect many adults at all it's amazing that we are most afraid of the things that we can see because it's the things we can't see that are the scariest and the most you know detrimental Unknowable. to our health and yeah. <laughs> toxic but that's i guess human nature for you yep i don't know but that's but that was josefina joey guerrero and she was fucking awesome and i'm really glad that i learned about her and um, i know thank you we've had enough time between our last world war ii shiro Uh uh-huh i know and i'm so glad because i actually the last episode that I did I had been considering a World War II figure not this one but another one and so I'm glad that you chose somebody because clearly like that's been on our minds a little bit Um, Mm -hmm. I'm sure that's not um, that's not unlikely um, because of what's been going on in our country but still it's kind of amazing and I like talking about the um what happened in the Philippines at that time is really cool because we as Americans are so insulated and we don't know, like we know that the Japanese attacked us, but yeah, no, I think you the know, Pacific theater of world war two is, is often glossed over. Right. Um, because there's not as much, I guess, glory. I'm not sure. I think because it doesn't have like, to do with America. D day and the storming of the beaches and all that. And yeah, yeah, I don't know. It, it just it doesn't it, affect America directly, so we don't talk about it. Not as much, but like it it does because it was a territory of the United States at the time. Yeah, I mean, so, like <laughs> what? Uh, okay, like <clears throat> when you think about it, <clears throat> it's all. I mean, I I, I me. hate to to jump to conclusions, but it's like. I, I don't know if whiteness subconsciously plays a part of it or or intentionally plays a part of it where probably the, the European theater it's all white people and then in the Pacific theater it is a lot of you know Asian people and Americans yeah I don't no I know I, I don't I mean I'm sure that that is a part of it the unconscious um, bias against teaching it or talking about it as much in America but uh, it's obviously important it's obviously an element of the the history of that war that is important to know (laughs) especially because there was American involvement obviously if this woman was there to save so many of them it seems that we should be more focused on it if you think about like the nationalist sort of undertones and a lot of um u.s history textbooks yeah that because the japanese were the only ones who attacked u.s soil 
that we would give a shit more about learning about what happened over there. Yeah. And why? I guess not. But yeah. I guess, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And, and maybe it's presumptuous of me to say that it maybe has anything to do with race, but I think that it's always an unconscious factor. Maybe it's just that there were more battles fought on the ground, but I'm sorry, the Battle of Manila had 100,000 civilian casualties, and I didn't know that? That that was yeah. such a significant and important battle in World War II? Yeah, it's, it that's really important. shameful that we don't talk about that more. And so in that Maybe because case, of civilian casualties, not soldier casualties. I, there were soldier casualties, obviously, but... 100,000 civilians is a lot. That's a lot. I mean, that's a that's a really large number of the World War II casualty count. And Which I've just learned that apparently um, COVID deaths in America, it, the number is encroaching on the number of deaths uh, in World War II. W- which... Of Americans in that war. Ah, yes. Yeah, I've read that. So uh... that's neat. Maybe yeah. that's why I subconsciously was like, yeah, I'll talk about World War II. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. I think there's a lot of reasons to talk about World War II right now. I think that yeah. our our time Nazis. right now looks very similar to a lot of um, times leading up to World War II. And so it Fascism. is important to, yeah, it's important to talk about history so that we learn from it. Because clearly a lot of us didn't. So, yep. you know. Yep. Or we weren't taught history adequately. Right. And listen to our episode on the Daughters of the Confederacy to understand more about why half the United States doesn't know its own history. Yeah. I would argue even more than half. I don't know. At this point, yeah. It's mm-hmm. spread, for sure. For well, sure. Like how many numbers of people in in the millennial generation and in gen z actually don't believe the holocaust happened is apparently too high it's like 20 percent of people or something can i tell you something that i read the other day that you're gonna find appalling because we talked about someone adjacent to this person um but apparently there is a huge problem with gen z not uh quote unquote believing in helen keller that she didn't exist because being blind deaf or deafblind means that you couldn't have achieved anything. Right. Like the yeah. ableism in that perception is intense. But- I read that thread to Alex, um, who for listeners who aren't aware is my partner and he is blind. Um, <laughs> right. And it infuriated him beyond belief. <laughs> well, as it should, because not just because like that is atrocious thinking, but also because she existed and did they everything. She's like Santa Claus. Like, I don't believe <laughs> like, in Helen Keller. What the fuck? That's not like, a thing. What? You don't get to believe in Helen Keller. She was a real person who did real things. Like, that's just fact. That's a f- factual. And it's also really simple to use Google now to find out about deafblind people who are accomplishing a lot. Right. That exist today. Yeah. Like, I mean, what are you talking about? It's, it's, it, it, the whole point of Helen Keller's story is that it was a real turning point in the education of people with disabilities. Uh, <laughs> because you learned that, like, people with certain disabilities, they didn't have any sort of mental handicap at all. It right. was just physical limitations and not knowing how to teach them. And I only bring that up just because, like, it is another example of something that I think our generation and prior to our generation we grew up with like that was just fact that was just what you learned and for whatever reason there is so much there's an issue with that now we have entered such an age of like what information is trustworthy and what is not right that people just don't trust anything sometimes right yeah and i i believe having a healthy amount of skepticism about any information that you hear is solid but yeah straight up just saying Helen Keller didn't exist or if she did exist there's no way that she wrote books right because you have this weird like ism going on that you don't that you haven't addressed yeah and and so in that way like I think it's good that we talk about people like uh Joey because we're ideally shining a little bit of a light on things that we don't we just don't talk about in school and mm-hmm. anymore or to the extent that we should and i i will always be grateful to that podcast this podcast for 
showing me the truth about people and certain time periods and events that I just didn't have the full picture of and still don't in a lot of ways, but maybe more so now than before. So anyway, um, that's a long-winded way of saying, like, thank you for talking about her and that event because, you know, it's important and amazing. And she was amazing. Yeah. So thank you. You're welcome. Are you a good witch? Or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on on our our Patreon. Patreon. (laughs) Oh, no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. Do you have something you're excited about this week? Uh, shit, I didn't like think about that at all. Um... But I guess I could say that I am excited to be taking a short break from Colorado. And I'm in Idaho right now. And Ben and I are working for a little bit on a short film. Um, We are wearing masks. We are being safe. Don't worry. But we get to be away from our normal living living situation for a minute and that feels nice it's good to just kind of change things up especially in a time where we are stuck in the same location for days at a time like especially because i don't have a car right now so i really am trapped in this house a lot and and yeah alex and i have gone on a couple walks in the last few days which we used to go on walks all the time in the summer when we first came out here but since it's been cold, not as much. And oh my God, just the change of scenery and the little bit of sunlight. It's makes huge. a huge difference. So I think yeah. that that's a valid thing to be excited about is a change of scenery. Thank and you. And living situation just Thank for you. a short time. Also, it's really beautiful up here right now. Like we're in um, Sun Valley, Idaho, and it is the, the snow is deep and beautiful and. Uh. You know, yeah, we get to see the sun rising on the snowy mountains each morning, and it's really lovely. Yeah, Idaho's gorgeous. I thought it was going to be super flat when I first went there. Parts of it. it, Parts of it are, but, like, it's by the, was it the Tetons are over there? And, like, it's just some stunning mountains. And it's right by Yellowstone. Like, part of Yellowstone is in Idaho. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the really interesting thing about Idaho is the way it's shaped. You have a lot of different landscapes within it. You know, my sister lives in northern Idaho, which is basically Canada. And so it's like just gloomy and beautiful. And there's pine trees and mountains and snow. And like, it looks like something out of a dream. But if you go down to southern Idaho, which connects with Wyoming in parts or Utah in parts, like... Then you get some very Desert-y. different, yeah, yeah, landscapes, and so prairie, it's interesting. Landscape, and we drove up here from Colorado, so we drove through Wyoming, which, you know, is mostly like, if depending on the part of the drive that we go, it's like mostly flat, very, very windy, and we were driving through like sixty plus mile an hour winds, which is yikes, insanity, and yeah. um. You know, and then you get into Idaho and it's like, whoa, okay. There's like mountains over there. It's like, yeah. I remember the exact thing because we went to uh, Yellowstone, I guess, two years ago now, um, almost. And we drove through Colorado. I remember that. We talked about that. Just like the moment you go from Wyoming into Idaho, it's like, wow, Wow, this is so nice. I know. Sorry to anyone living in Wyoming. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, yeah, it's. No, it's Wyoming, really pretty. Wyoming is fine. There's lots of open space. It's a very like cowboyish. <laughs> yeah. Like if you're into that sort of thing, then that's <clears throat> that's what it's for. 
Yeah, exactly. It does have beauty to be appreciated, but it is like we grew up in Colorado, so <laughs> we have a very specific sort of standard. We're a little spoiled. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But anyway. But yeah, so that's what I'm excited about. We're going to be here for a few days. I think we might be here um, through the inauguration, depending on when we post this episode and when you're listening to it. So we'll see how that goes. Um, And, you know, if... Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. We'll see what happens, but... And I just, I, I, I can't wait. For that and to be I done? Should, yes. So yeah. that we can move on. I know. I um, would like to just get through it. Yeah. So we're through it. But, ah, but we'll see. So. But with that said, you know, thank you everybody who has been with us for almost, mm, what is it, three, three years? years? Three oh, years is now? Is it four? Cause didn't, wait, did we start in 2018 or did we start in 2017? It's 2017. 2017. February, February, right? So it's almost four years. Hannah! Oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, oh, shit. Okay, well, happy almost four-year anniversary. <laughs> I know. Um, whenever that is. I'm sure Ben will tell me. But, yeah, thank you to everybody who's been with us thus far. I mean, I, I love seeing your messages, um, seeing your emails, it is just it makes us feel good and i'm really glad that y'all are still here and that you love us I'm still and enjoying it yeah because we we love you too we appreciate your your listenership and your patronage um it's really important to us and yeah if you want to reach out to us if you never have you can um, we yeah, have an email. Expensive. Yeah. We have an email, gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can tweet at us or DM us on Instagram. Um, we're at gwbbpodcast on both platforms. We do have a Patreon, which is patreon.com slash gwbbpodcast. It's pretty basic. You know, we don't have tiers. We just have that whole do you like us, do you not like us, and thank you <laughs> tier. Um, but it helps us keep the website paid for and that kind of thing. Um, and we have a Ko-Fi, which is ko-fi.com slash podcast. So, you know, find us wherever it makes sense for you to find us. We really love reviews. Um, but it seems like a lot of you find us and listen to us without needing that. I think we have kind of an interesting following who... Yeah, you guys get in touch us with they us. See the reviews. Yeah, <laughs> they just find us and listen, and it's word of mouth. I think. I think it's really word of mouth. So we have a lot of you who reach out to us through Twitter and through Instagram. Um, so your friend or coworker told you about us. Yeah, and that's really which great. Is so really makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Word of I mouth know. is is honestly the best the best endorsement. I think. I agree. It means you care about something so much that you want to tell someone about it. So, yeah. Thanks for caring about us. Yeah. Thank you like, so much. <laughs> we appreciate you. And, um, you know, until until we are through some of the hard times, we will uh, be in touch via this podcast. So until then, peace out, witches. to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. (laughs) Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gwbbpodcast. Become a patron and help us 
you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moon Bounce. Moon Bounce.